0: Our reading this morning will be from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So it's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to look that up in your Bible or just listen. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a beautiful picture of your holiness, reminding us of who you are, our Lord and Savior, and uh, just how sinful we are, Father, just that um, uh, you are the only one that can take away our sins, our iniquity, Lord, and we praise you for it. We come here today asking that you would change us uh, through your word, through your spirit, through fellowship. And we just um, submit to you and uh, ask that you would uh, be with Steve, give him clarity in his message, in our ears to be able to hear it, Lord, and change so that we'd be more like your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good to see every one of you here on this Lord's Day. Indeed, the Lord is good that he gives us times like these. Last week I went to the eye doctor. I thought my eyes were not doing quite as good. Couldn't see as clear. And that was true. I need new glasses again. That's what it's been since fourth grade. But I thought of our time here in that I, I have to have glasses to see i i can, i can 't drive i, I couldn 't read i couldn 't make without glasses, but we need the Lord we need the Spirit to help us to see the Lord and help us need the Spirit to help us to understand his word, and so that 's important and I, and I trust that you you come here this morning with a, a dependence on, on the father on uh, the spirit and the Son to help you to understand the truth that he has for you, because you come on a Sunday, and, and I can't help but think, I know God is working, but there needs to be a dependence, a faith, a trust on your part, to God, teach me what you want me to know, what you want me to do, how you want me to live my life. At a recent elders meeting, we were talking about how to help you be the Christian that God wants you to be. And we thought it would be good to take some time to talk about Christian character that God wants you to have the godly qualities that God wants each one of us to have. And so there are these areas then that God wants us to focus on that are really, really important. And, and also then uh, areas that God wants you to help others in as well. So for the next four or five weeks or so, we're going to be looking at 12 different areas uh, of, of Christian maturity. And these are, I'll just read them quickly here, knowing and loving God, knowing and believing the truths of God, living a holy life, walking with the Spirit, being humble, having faith, loving others, serving others, fulfilling your purpose, having godly speech, being a good steward, and having hope. All important subjects, and I'm excited about going over these. I've been working on them already. In fact, Steve mentioned earlier, he says, I've been working on a message this this message this week. Well, no, you know what I do? Is I work three weeks ahead of time. It was 40 years ago in Ames, Iowa, and I was an elder back then, and I, I might have said this to you before, but oftentimes, way too often, I'd be working on a message till midnight on Saturday night, and that was not good. That was not good. So I learned my lesson, so I work ahead. And so I'm about three weeks ahead, but but regardless, um, I'm excited about these messages that God has for us. We're going to start with knowing and loving God. Knowing and loving God, having a close and personal relationship with Him, with Him is foundational, and it starts with you believing that that, that Jesus Christ is the one who died to pay for your sins. Believing that, and and then God justifies you, He forgives you, He redeems you, He gives you eternal life. It says in John 5, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And eternal life in John 17, 3, I'm not going to read that now, but it's defined as knowing God, having this personal and eternal relationship with the living God. And indeed, this is the most important relationship that you could ever have. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? And I could talk about this a lot. I'm just going to give you a few examples. I think of Mary. You know the story, I believe, in Luke chapter 10, where she sat at Jesus' feet. She spent time with him. She listened to him, and she was learning from him, and she was loving him and knowing his love as well. And she believed in what he said. And I like what Jesus said, that this is very, very relevant to each of us here. He says, as he's talking to her, only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. It's it's interesting how he defines life. Life really, when it comes down to it, is only one thing. Only one thing. And that's your relationship with the Lord. And here was Martha in the lesson. We all know the story. She was distracted. We all get distracted at times, and God wants us to learn to not be distracted by the things of the world, but rather to be ones who get the time that he wants us to have with him. There's Enoch. He walked with God. He knew God's love. He loved God. He enjoyed the Lord. He had a close relationship with Him. We know what it says in Genesis chapter 5 that he walked with the Lord. But you know when you look at it, when you read, it, I did notice this just a week, a few weeks ago. It says he walked with God for three hundred years. It wasn't like oh the last few years of his life he got going. For three hundred years he was walking with God. I thought, wow, that's something. I mean, we're all, of course, not going to live that long, but, but to think about that. Could you say that? Yeah, for my life, I've been walking with God now for 30 years or 40 or 50 or whatever. It's, it's a, very much of an encouragement and, and really a challenge to our lives as well. There's Abraham and Moses, and both were friends of God, and they were ones who knew the Lord. They had a relationship with him, a close relationship. They knew his character. They knew his love, his mercy, his power. They knew that he was holy and sovereign and that he was faithful. They knew these things. They knew him. It says in Psalm 910, those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. Know thy name is a phrase. It means you know the character of God. There's three, maybe there's more, but there's three particular songs I think of. They call them songs. There's Moses' song, Exodus 15. There's Hannah's song in First Samuel 2. And there's Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. And, and when you read these songs, you see that each of these people, each of them godly, Mary, Hannah, and Moses, knew the Lord. And, and you read there about the character of God. The character of God is, is spoken of in each of these songs. So I encourage you to, to read those and be encouraged by them, be instructed by them. Now, to love God means putting him first in our life. It means not loving the things of the world, money, food, sports, clothes, whatever. Not loving the world. It's loving God and not having idols. And there's lots and lots of idols in this world. We need to be very, very careful. It means we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're wholehearted in our love for God. We're devoted and committed to him. We're sold out to him is a way to say it. To love God means we love his word, the Bible, and we read it. It says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. That verse, how does it define loving God? loving his word. But more than that, if you really love his word, you'll be thinking about it. And the ultimate is all day long. And so that's how you test yourself. Do you really love the Lord? Do you love his word? If you really love his word, you're thinking about it, not about a lot of other things. And God's word, then, is the key to your relationship with the Lord. It really, really is. And when you read it, then, it tells you about the Lord and how you can get to know him, how you can walk with him, how you can talk to him. But I can say that for myself. There's no doubt about that, that it's the key for my relationship with God. My my son had a friend, has a friend in Houston and and she's working for this group, it's a counseling thing and it's trying to help pastors. And so my son told her that, you know, I get time with the Lord on a weekly basis and also a monthly basis extended. And he wanted, he wanted me to write something, so I just finished it Saturday morning. Uh, you know, just sort of a pretty long paper on my walk with the Lord. And I have to say, as I think about uh, my walk with the Lord, in fact, I read this verse today in Psalm 119. I says, I would have perished if I had not delighted in your word. I would have perished. I I, I can tell you this. I could not have made it through my life the last 50-plus years of Christian without the word of God. It's been the key. It has been the key for my life. And so we're to read this book then the Bible, we're to believe, we're to do what it says, and if we have a relationship with God, that means we understand that that God is our Lord, Jesus is our Lord, that he is in charge, and we listen to him, and we know what he says, and we do what he says. That's what we understand. We also, that song uh, we just sang had two keys to it, trust and obey. So I just said here that we need to obey him and to trust him. We need to do that as well. To love God means we have faith in God, depending on him to meet our needs. It means we rely on him through thick and thin. It means we, 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 we trust him. We trust him. We believe his promises. We believe that he will lead us. We believe that he'll give us all that we need. So there's two main elements when you think about your relationship with God, this trust and obedience, and it all, of course it all relates to the word of God. The most important aspect of loving God is, of course, worshiping God. That means we praise him. That means we exalt him. That means we love him by our words. We love him by what we say, by what we do. And we are ones, then, who are thankful to him. Turn to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. There's so many (laughs) verses I could have picked here to talk about praise, because you think about the book of Psalms, and one of the main themes of Psalms is this area of praise. Psalm 9 verses 1 and 2 sums it up well. It says, I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I'll be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And, and three of those points, there's, three, there's four points there. Three are really about this worship. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Next verse, I'll be glad and exult in you. And thirdly, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is what God wants. God wants each of us to be ones who are are worshiping him by praising him. I like what it says in Psalm 69. It says, um, I will praise the name of God with song and glorify him with Thanksgiving. That's what God wants us to be doing. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, and I've mentioned this phrase in the past, and like Paul then, we should be ones who want to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We should want to know him, and that's what he wants for us every day of the week. Whatever you're going through, this is what he wants, to to know him and to grow in this relationship with him, and of course, with the Father and the Spirit as well. We talked about this. We talked about your relationship with God. It's with the triune God, and I don't know how each of you process your relationship with God relative to the Trinity, but it's an important thing to think about. I love the Father, I love the Son, and I love the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what he wants us to do. Here's some verses that describe different aspects of this relationship that God has with you and for you, and, and these are probably familiar. Psalm twenty three one, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Psalm sixty three. 3 and 4 says because your love and this is great I love it because your love is better than life because your love is better than any single thing in life any person in life therefore I will praise you and then in Psalm 73 which I've said is 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 probably in the last couple of years become one of my favorite verses 20 73 23 24 25 yet I'm always with you that's the first point you always hold me by my right hand that's point 2 number 3 you guide me with your counsel, and for then, afterwards, you'll take me to glory. Then it says those verses, you know, whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So many verses that talk about your relationship with God. So, I mean, again, it's, it's the Psalms. I mean, we talk about the Bible, and the Psalms is, is, is one of the best books to help you grow in your relationship with God by, by, by far. The book of Psalms is, of course, the largest book in the Bible. There's 100 in, let me see. Let's um, look at the pages in, in my Bible. And 134 pages of Psalms, the next biggest book in the Bible, book of Isaiah, is 99. And so it's by far the biggest. And I think it's because my opinion, I would say it's the most important. That's me, okay? Others might disagree. Oh, you got to go to Romans or John. That's fine. I love Psalms, okay? It's your relationship with God. That's, that's so important, and that helps you more than I believe anything else. Indeed, then having a closer relationship with God, knowing and loving him, then again is the single most important thing for your life. And I'd encourage you to pray for yourself. It's fine to pray for yourself. It's good. And pray for others that you'd grow in your relationship to God. Turn to Ephesians. I want you to see this here. Ephesians 1. See what how Paul does it here. Because he, he does pray this in a, in a couple, well, probably more than one, a couple places, but... Verse 16... Well, sorry, 15. Ephesians one fifteen. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So that's what he's praying. I'm praying that they grow in their relationship with him, their knowledge, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. That's, that's, that's what he said. Turn to um, Ephesians, um, Ephesians 3. <laughs> the, these, I should probably teach them this. Some. These are so, boy, they're just powerful. 14, three fourteen. 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Talk about a loaded phrase. He goes on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love and it goes on. Very really good. Boy, that's pray that for yourself and pray that for others. But again, that, that's that's I believe one of the most important things to pray for. You're praying for people that you know, your loved ones or family members or people in the church or others. Pray that they grow in their relationship with the Lord. That's what that God wants second area talk about is knowing and believing the truths of God i want to just share some first some quick points about the truth first we're talking about spiritual truth not truths in the physical world okay there's all kinds of truth but we're focusing here on spiritual truth that's my objective that's my job here as a pastor to teach you spiritual truth secondly all the spiritual truths you need to know are found in the bible in god's word they're all here Bible sufficient. Some people disagree. Oh, you need to have this or that. No, no, God's word is essential for you. Now, in Paul as well. well. Let's talk about church. Sunday morning church. Okay, is it sufficient? Yes. Does the, the Bible tell you specifically how long church service should be? Does it tell you how long I should teach or how long you should sing? Or no, it doesn't do those things. But the principles of how to have a church service are all here. That's what I mean. It's the principles. And that's important because you go to Africa, you go to Asia, there's all kinds of different settings, culturally speaking, and it's important then to have some flexibility that God gives to the, gives to the leaders through the Holy Spirit and through his word. So that's what I am saying here. It says in Second in Timothy 3, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So all that you need is right here in the Word of God. Next, God's truth is inerrant. It means it's true, it's right, it's correct, there's no error there. Next, the truths God wants you to learn are clear. They're clear, they're not vague or confusing. Some people might say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, it may be. Maybe that they're not saved, if they say that. Or maybe they're just a young Christian, they're growing, and that's true. I mean, I, I've, I surely didn't learn all the truths I needed the first year or two I was a Christian. It's a process over the years. But the, but the point is, essentially then, they are clear. Now, some things, and Paul even said this himself, said some things are a little hard to understand. But what God wants us to know, what he wants us to know, he gives us the grace, he gives us the spirit then to understand. That's, that's what is true. Next, the the devil tells lies that are opposed to God, and he wants us to believe these lies. And if we believe these lies and we're not believing the truths of God, we'll be then led, led astray from God, and we'll be going down the wrong road, an evil road, a devilish road, in fact, and a an righteous road, a, a worldly road. That's what's going to happen. We'll be going down the wrong way. It's not good. Says says um. Let's turn here. If you're in Ephesians 4, we're right there. Ephesians four fourteen. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You don't understand. Well, I we shouldn't say it that strongly. I don't think you really truly understand how bad it is out in the world. And how the devil messes with the truth of God all over—it really is not good. I, I get a newsletter every week, and, and one of the there's different authors in this newsletter, but one of them writes about the apostasy in the church, and it's just—it's sick, it's bad, it's terrible. It's just—I mean, we got problems in this country, right? All right, you know that. You know one of the main reasons we have problems—you don't have good churches teaching the truth. That's it. You don't have good pastors teaching the truth. You can have bad churches if the pastors aren't teaching the truth. They've got to teach you. That's one of the main. I'd say, if you want to say, why why? Why we have problems? That's in the top two or three reasons right there. You know, I would talk about parents too in those top two or three. There's there's different reasons at church, the parents, why we have problems. Next, God wants us to know his truth and live by his truth, and then we'll be set free from sin, from evil from the snares of the devil. You know the verse John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you have problems with sin, it's because you probably don't know the truth like you need to know it and aren't then applying it to your life. Next, the church is the body of Christ. It's the pillar and support of the truth. And the church then, this relates to what I just said about problems in a country, the church is to know and understand the truth. Again, this truth doesn't come from other places. It's the church is to be sharing, speaking forth the truth. is to know and understand and to teach the truth. It's to fight for the truth. It's to defend the truth. And it's to train people in the church to keep teaching the truth. That's what church is to do. Those are important things. And the church in general in our world is failing in some of those things. But sure, Christian lives by the truths of God. And not just by... One or two truths, but by, I'm going to say it this way, all the basic truths in His Word. Okay? Again, this is a process that Christian grows through the years. Again, if you just got saved, God has you grown. It takes time. But, but the verse I want to mention here is in Psalm 119, 160 it says, The sum of thy word is truth. So there's individual truths, and then there's the sum of truth, the collective truth. For example, we talk about the gospel. There's the truth with the gospel that Jesus is. God and man. That's the truth you need to know to understand the gospel. But that's not the only truth. You need to know the truth about man being sinful and man being spiritually dead. You need to know the truth of of Christ and dying for your sins. And, okay, what does it mean when, when God justifies it? There's a lot of truths. And the point is, with the gospel alone, the sum of thy truth, of all these different particular truths, is what God wants you to know. And so that's important. We talk about individual truth, and you talk about the collective truth, but the sum of thy word is truth. And a lot of people, they take things out of context. We as Christians must see the larger picture when it comes to truth. Finally, Jesus Christ embodied the truth of God by his words and by his, by his works. We know this. Jesus always spoke the truth, and his life, his character, his actions always displayed the truth. John one fourteen. Well, I won't read. You can go there fourteen to eighteen, but one of the phrases there says, it "says grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ," which would have been. I mean, can you imagine being there? I, I'm sure you've all thought about this being there with Christ and he's walking around teaching. You see his life, everything, everything he said and did was a display of the truth of God. That that's that's what happened. It's truly truly amazing. What are the basic truths of the Bible? The truths you need to know. Turn to Ephesians four. Still on Ephesians, huh. Ephesians four. Are you the kind that leave your Bible open? It's still right there. It's still right here. Ephesians four, verse four to six. I've, I've read this before, and I hopefully, sometimes I I, I keep reading things because I want to make sure that it's really in your mind, and repetition is helpful to do that. Verse four: There is one body, one spirit. Just you recall. And one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's seven specific truths that I want to go there. Again, I'm not talking you know, what are the truths of the Bible? Oh, there's lots of truths. I just say I believe these are very key, these seven plus one more, which I'll mention later. So you need to know the truth. And and, and we first read about one body. What's one body referring to? It's referring to the body of Christ. It's referring to the church. That's what we're saying. You need to know that the church was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You need to know, as we just said here, it's the body of Christ. You need to know that the church is to be loving and holy. You need to know the purpose of the church. Preach the gospel to all the nations, Matthew twenty-four fourteen. Make disciples of all the nations, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 need to know that the elders are to lead the church. That's First Timothy 3, Titus 1. need to know that Christ is coming back. We're going to get brand-new glorified bodies, the church. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thess 4, other places. So all these truths that are important. Then there's the Holy Spirit. This is the next one. There's one body and one spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he is God. He indwells. He seals every believer. And, and this is what he does. And I'm, again, I'm summarizing. I could give you eight verses or seven or eight verses on the next points. He sanctifies us. That is, he makes us holy. He teaches us. This is John 14, John 16. He empowers us to do his will he comforts us, he encourages us. This is John 14, 16, and 17. He comforts us, he encourages us, and he has fellowship with us. That's 2 Corinthians 13, 14. All this is what God wants for you, the spirit. And what else does he do? He gives spiritual gifts to believers, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He leads you, and he helps you to pray. That's Romans 8. All these things, this is this is powerful. I just went through, what, nine different areas here, the spirit, and so for your life as a Christian, each one of these are important. Each one is vital, your relationship with the Spirit. I'm not going to go there now, but in Galatians five sixteen to 18, really Galatians 5 to the end of the chapter, really talks probably more about the Spirit than any other section of Scripture. There's a lot there said about the Spirit. That is particularly his, his role. Next, there's one hope. We've talked about this a lot. It means you have a future. You have a home in heaven. Do you think about that? You all have your place you're going back to today, right? Going back to your place and hanging out there and resting up, might watch the game tonight. You know, you have your home. You got a home in heaven. That's important. Jesus is there. You go there. You'll be with Jesus. You'll be with all the believers. That's wonderful. I mean, all of you here know somebody who has passed away, right? In your lifetime, that who's a believer. This is where they're at. You need to think about this. This Is this is this is important? This is really important to understand this this truth. You know, we. I'm going to give you two words here, grief and gladness. And somebody you know passes away. And some believers are sort of overwhelmed by grief. And some of that, that I understand that. But I really think that what should dominate our hearts with the passing, I mean, I'm not saying it right away. I know there's a process. I understand all this. Is gladness. Yes, you're grieving because this person is gone for you, but you're really glad they're with the Lord, and you're also glad because you know you'll be with them someday and forever, and this life is short. Okay, I, I, I will preach this strongly, is grieve, but don't grieve too much. Let your gladness for the person and the gladness that you're going to be with the Lord and the gladness that you're going to be with that person forever overwhelm your heart. That's what God wants you to understand. In fact, I'll just say this really quickly. I wasn't planning to, but it was, it was 30, 31 years ago, February 5th, 1972. My, my wife's mother passed away. She had a stroke on a Tuesday. She died on a Wednesday evening. And it was quite sudden. Again, she was just 72 at that time. And, but, but the thing about Marsha that I, I was sort of surprised, her father died 18 months later, August 25th of 73, 93 rather, is, is that, that she was grieving, but not too much. God had put in her heart this hope that God wants us all to have, and she knew she'd be with him again. She knew that. In fact, her father had just gotten saved a few years before that, not too long. So it was encouraging to see her heart, and that's what God wants for us to be ones to be grieving, yes, but more so to be ones who are glad. Knowing we have this hope, no one will be with the believers in the future, no one will have a glorified body, and knowing that someday, and people don't talk about this much, if you come with us, come to our Wednesday meeting, you'll see this on prophecy, is that there's, we're going through Isaiah. And 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 one of the main prophetic elements of Isaiah is the future coming kingdom It has so much in there about the millennial kingdom and the future kingdom. And we are going to be there, and we'll be worshiping and serving the Lord like never before, and freely so, and excitedly, and joyfully, and powerfully to be indeed a wonderful time. There's one Lord. This is Jesus Christ, of course, and God wants you to understand the truths about Jesus Christ, that he is God and man, number one. And secondly, that he is your creator. Jesus made you. I mean, we can talk about the Trinity all had, you know, but there's verses, Colossians 1, about Christ made you, made everyone, everything in this world. We understand that, that Christ is the Lord. That means he's in charge. That means he's sovereign, that he controls things overall. We understand that he is a savior. He's the one who died to pay for our sins. We understand that he is the judge, and he will judge every person. I mean, this is important. I was reading Psalm 9 today I'm in my quiet time. It's really good about God judging the nations, and Gives me comfort as I look out at the evils in the world. God will judge. Christ will judge. And finally, then Christ is the king. He's the king. He's coming back to reign over this world. So so encouraging. There's, there's one faith. That's referring to, to God's word. It's what we call the Bible. As I said before, it's inerrant. Inerrant. Inerrant is just a word that means God's word is, in its original text, is without error without error in the original manuscripts, and and even if you look at, you know, I've used a New American, you might use something similar, you look at that, and there's very minor, minor points, but about every Bible you look at, you know, in this world that's translated is pretty good, excellent, I'd say, and there's not much deviation or variation from one to another, and so it's inerrant and it's sufficient. Again, as I said before, it contains all we need to live the Christian life. The truths of God, we're to believe, the commands that we're to obey, and the promises that we are then to believe as well. Then there's one, baptism. This refers to salvation, or baptized in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. One, baptism, salvation, all people are sinners and are spiritually dead. Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins, and God then is satisfied, that word propitiation is satisfied with the work that Christ did to pay for the sins of people then who believe in him. That's the baptisms. Next, there's, well, and with that then, those who repent of their sins and believe in Christ then are saved. So we talk about baptism. It's, it's what God does for us in our response. We believe in him. We trust in him. We become, become then children of God. We're saved, we're forgiven, and we're redeemed, and and in God's spirit then it comes in us, and then soon enough, then he will take us home to heaven. That's what's going to happen. Finally, there's one God and Father. This is referring, of course, to God the Father. That's who it is. God the Father is the one who chooses people to get saved, predestines people to get saved, and then at the right time, he saves them. He calls them his children. He answers their prayer. He meets their needs. He cares for them, and then he will bring them home to heaven. I love that verse, Psalm 116, 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. From God's point of view, he really is happy, really excited when his children come home to be with him. So these are seven areas of truth, seven areas. It's also the truth about man. It's not mentioned here, but you can read about man in was it verses 17 to 18 in this chapter, verse 19. Talk about man, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Talk about man. And and but 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 I want to sum it up this way here first, that God is the one who created us, this is all Genesis 1. Second, He's the one who created us in His image. Third, He's the one who created us male and female. I have said this recently in the past, it's very sickening to see what's going on in the country. I just heard this stat about two days ago that. That in the last 15 years, I think it was, um, they've, 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 they've have 100 what's called gender-affirming centers. Before that, there was zero. a gender-affirming care center for somebody who thinks they're not sure if they're a boy or a girl or one of these 100 genders, they got out there, well, you come there and they'll help you figure it out. And it's sick. I, I cannot tell you it would, it would make you sick. It is revolting to talk about the things that they are doing. To kids, to young people, and even without parents' permission, it just just really gets me upset. Because the truth here, they're made male and female only two, two genders: X,Y, XX. That's it. That's the science. That's what God tells us in His word. Maiden is male and female they have all, of course, sinned against God, which results in death. And those who put their trust in Christ are saved, will be in heaven. Those who don't put their trust in Christ aren't saved and will go to hell. That is the truth, simply said about man. So there's these eight areas of truth that are, are found in, 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 in God's word. And, and really, you find these eight areas of truth that I just mentioned, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, and in Ephesians 2. You find them in most church doctrinal statements. This is, this is what they focus on. It's very You read through doctrinal statements and this is what they concentrate on because these are basic areas that I've talked about here. And they're ones then that are, are, are basic and they're foundational and necessary for the growth of the church and the growth of every, every person. And so too, for each one of us, these truths about God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, about man, about the salvation of man about the church, about God's word, and about our future hope, then, is what believers need. To, we need to know these things and believe them and understand them and then share them with others. And, and knowing these tre- truths will help you have a biblical worldview. It's a, it's a phrase people use. It just means you are looking at the world from, from, from God's point of view, from the Bible's point of view. That's what it means. I mean, for example, i just shared this. There's all kinds of ideas about what marriage is anymore. Well, what's the biblical worldview on marriage? What does it say? And I'm not going to go in here. I'm just giving you one example. Is that to live life, you need to have a biblical worldview. It's a truth of God that we've talked about here today and many many others that will help you have this biblical worldview, help you to live a vibrant, loving, powerful, and successful Christian life as you then walk through this evil world. That's what's going on. And this is what we need. We'll get messed up if we don't have the truth of God help transform our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is like God wants for us. Third area is living a holy life. Of course, extremely important area. Many, many verses on this. I'm just taking a, a few more minutes here. First point, God wants to be holy. Ephesians 1, 4 says God chose us, to, chose us in him that we would be holy and blameless before him. And, and what we see here, this is what I take from this verse, is that one of, if not the primary objective of God for us is that we are ones who are holy. Okay. Because it said he chose us, and he said it could have chosen us for a lot of things. Oh, to go to heaven or do this. He chose us to be holy. That's the first thing it says. That's why I believe it's priority. He chose to be holy. We understand that, that, that in the text, and Paul did this a lot, he would call the believers saints. Saints is just a word that means holy ones. So each of you here, as a believer in Christ, you're a saint. You're a holy one. And that's how you should view yourselves, and that's how then you should be living and trying to live a holy life. 1 Peter 1, 6 says, Like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. God is holiness, and holiness is one of his marrying character qualities. So he commands this for you. And why? <laughs> because, because he's trying to be mean, <laughs> Because he loves you. He knows that you live a holy life is the best thing for you. Even though the, the devil tempts. We know the story of Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We know that she was tempted. Oh, this looks good to eat, and it's pleasing for the eye and everything else, and it'll make me wise. She was tempted. You know, the devil had some pretty good tricks there. I mean, he was thinking how to deceive her, and he did. He did do that. First Thessalonians three. this is the will of God your sanctification. Again, being holy. So next, we need to stay away from sin. As people, we're all tempted to sin. You all have areas you're tempted to sin in. I'm not going to go through different areas here, but you're tempted to sin. You need to learn to say no to sin and to turn away from sin and to uh, uh, avoid it. That's what God wants. We know the story of, of Joseph in, in Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife came to him, tried to seduce him. You know the story and he said, no. Well, this is what he really said right here. How then could I do this great evil and, and sin against God? That's, that's, a, that's a good verse to, to put on your wall. You know, you are going through life and through the day, and whether it's in your office or some room, whatever, you know, and you're tempted. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? It's a great thing. God wants us to have that, I thought, in our minds. 1 Corinthians 10. Let's turn there. First Corinthians 10:13." Because sometimes we struggle. I mean, I I can't help but think that all of you, you're people, you're humans, you have the flesh. I can't help but think that you've all struggled in certain areas, okay? That's the way life is. This is such a good verse on temptation. No temptation, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Great promise, a great truth that God has for each one of us here. So we need to say no to sin and say yes to, to truth, to what is good, to what is right, uh, that's what God wants. You know the verse in, in Psalm 1? Uh, says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not stand in the path of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night. So you're blessed by what you don't do. It's interesting. you got 150 chapters of, of, of great truth in Psalms, and the first verse is about what you shouldn't do. It's what you shouldn't do. And this is important. We need to stay away from bad people, and bad music, and bad movies, and bad TV shows, and bad books, and yes, bad websites. We need to stay away from those things. So God says, well, I, 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 I looked at it. No, don't look at it. Don't read it. Don't watch it. I mean, we understand this. We live in a world where there's so much stuff out there, so much. And I, I was talking to somebody recently in there. We're talking about TV shows, and, and, and they're just telling me it is so bad on TV shows. You know, night, you know nightly shows on your regular stations, you know, or daytime shows. They're just bad what they do, what they allow, what they show. It's just got to stay away, got to stay away. Turn to Psalm 119, two other good verses on this, Psalm 119, 101 and 104. Psalm 10, 119, 101, I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. Very interesting. See the connection? One reason we stay away from bad things is so we can do what God wants us to do, what's in his word. Then 104, from your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And so you see that in some ways you could say 104 precedes 101, Okay. I hate every false way, and if you hate the false way, then you'll turn away from it. Part of this is hating the sin, hating it in your heart. So there's some area you're tempted, and you hate it. God's got to give you the grace to hate it. Therefore, I hate every false way, and then you can turn away from these bad things and then keep his word. That's what you can do. So. God enables us to be holy, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth, your word of truth. That is God's word. His truth is the primary means by which you can be holy. We talked about this recently a few weeks back. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 17, I believe it was. And, and that whole section, in fact, the first verse, 19, 119, 9 says, how can a young man keep his wife here? By keeping it according to your word. That is the key. That is central. That's foundational. That's what's necessary for holiness is the word of God. You have to have the word of God. Thinking about God's truth then helps you have a good thought life. It helps you to talk in a godly way, in a Christ-like way. And keeping God's word then helps you to live a holy life, to have godly conduct. Now, of course, you know this. You can't be holy in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit. And you think about the Holy Spirit. What's What's the Spirit called? Holy. Holy. It's so obvious here. One of the primary purposes of the Spirit is to make and keep you holy. And so it's by the word of God. And by the Spirit of God, the true primary means by which you can be. And there's other things, too. We could say, you know, you need to be in fellowship, and, you know, there's different things you can do. But primarily speaking, foundationally speaking, it's the Word and, and the Spirit that then keeps you holy. Turn, finally, here to Romans 6. In Romans 6, uh, I've often thought in the last year that I really need to go through this chapter. But, but on one hand, you, you could say that, that one of the main themes of Romans 6 is to keep you holy, okay? That, that's that's I'm pretty clear there. But just a few verses I'll read at this time. Verse 11 to 14, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey his love. That is, be holy. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, but for you're not under law, but under grace. Let me just read a couple of the lines from our song that so applied. I give you my heart, the chorus Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. That's giving yourself to God. That's what it means. Then we're going to the song we're going to sing in a few minutes here. First verse Take my life, let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. And I like that verse because it relates to what we just read there. It says, it says, you want to present the members of your body. We well, were talking there about your, what, your hands and your feet. Take the members of your body, your head and everything you've got, all your senses. Lord, here it is. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. And, and, and I'll say just two things in this point here. Is, is think of it two ways. And on one hand, it's like when you get saved, Early on as a Christian, Lord, here's my life. However long I live, it's for you. Second deal, secondly, every day. Lord, another day. I'm alive, still alive. You woke me up again. Here's my day. I give myself to use me as you would wish this day. It's it's a it's a very important thing to do. It's sort of like the Isaiah six verse where Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. So making yourself available to God. Sometimes that can be a little scary, thinking, Oh, what's he gonna tell me to do? <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it. Trust him. He knows who you are. He knows how you're made. He knows what you're like. He knows your weaknesses, your strengths, your gifts. He knows all those things. Trust him. He will help you with that. So we've looked at just three areas, Uh, your relationship with God, knowing the truths of God, and being holy. Very important. And so I would, again, encourage you to read these notes. You can go online or get the notes back there. Review them. Review them. Because otherwise, if you don't review them or think of them, you'll forget them. You don't want to be like the, the seed, uh, the soil, the soil that, you know, you know, didn't grow the seed because it really forgot. Anyway, let's pray. And, and next week, then, we'll look at three more areas. Be filled with the Spirit, being humble, and having faith. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you that we can be together. Thank you for your truth here. Indeed, lots of thoughts, but, boy, this is so exciting. You, you tell us how to live for you. It's not vague. It's not unclear. We just talked about three areas today, and I I just pray that you'd help each one wherever they are at because, Lord, you know, as they were sitting here today, God, you or I trust, speaking to them through your word and through your spirit, and you continue to do that. If there's one or two areas that they really need to focus on, help them, remind them, convict them. God, I ask you for this, but thank you so much for this church. Thank you for, I know, ones who couldn't be here today, not feeling well, whatever. I pray you'd help those Lord, who are not feeling well, Lord, help them to feel well, help them to, 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 to understand the truth that's being shared as they listen online or get the handout, whatever. But do thank you for this entire church, every one of us here. We, again, ask you to lead us and guide us individually as families, uh, Lord, and, and in the future. And again, help us. Sometimes we're tired, sometimes we're sick, we have ailments, and we need your grace to keep us going. And you give us the grace. Wherever we're at, you give us the grace that we need to just really live one day at a time for you. But thank you again for this time. Thank you for Bethel. Pray for your blessing upon them. And, Lord, really all the churches in this country and the world, we commit to you. That, God, you'd raise up the churches. We can talk about, hey, we need a new politician. It's not the politicians. It's the churches and the parents. That's what it really starts with. Your word, your truth. That's That's what you want to do. So thank you again, Lord, for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple more things to mention. For Bruce comes up here, uh, and Bruce is probably gonna say this ready. But Bob Hunt's coming here in two weeks. Uh, he works for Zion's Hope, and his message on the collapse of a nation. Looking at, I believe Isaiah nine and ten, which I think is quite appropriate. That there is no doubt. I read this more and more online. Uh, people writing books or people talking. The nation is collapsing before our very eyes. It's sad to say, and I could spend a lot of time talking about this too. He's going to take a message and talk about it from. God's point of view, from the Israelites' point of view, and then go from there. And one more thing is, is um, I just, I've ordered, I don't know how many boxes of 500, but the blog cards, and I, Marsha put a bunch more back there. And I just want to say this, is that Marsha and I, we don't typically hand out tracts. Uh, we hand out blog cards. We do it a lot. I'm not trying to say anything. We, just, we do it because, hey, this is a, help people, you know, if she goes to Walmart, she'll be, Hand out cards. She'll come back with stories, you know. I'll go to my doctor and I'll hand out blog cards, you know. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's what we do. It's just good to give them out or sometimes mail them to friends, um, you know, or, you know, I, we have our customer service calls. I'm not sure if you have customer service calls. I mean, about always talking to somebody from the Philippines or wherever, you know. Hey, we want to give you this blog site here in Marshall. My husband wrote it. It's really good. So, so I just want to say that. It, it's, it's irrelevant, and the last two articles or posts, rather, are on the new body—it's really, really relevant. And keep praying because God helps me to, you know, to write those things. But but I just want to say that you can use those as a tool. Take as many as you want. I'll print more. They're really cheap. I mean, I get a pretty good deal on them. And so anyway, that's it. Thank you.
0: So activity-wise, we have our Bible study time coming up this Wednesday, if you're available in the evening, 6.45. And then um, uh, next Sunday, uh, the appeases, our Italian missionaries, will be visiting. I mentioned to the, that to you earlier. I said I'd let you know when they would be by uh, while they're in Florida in the States. This will be the one Sunday they'll be here. So if you're able to... ...to uh, come next Sunday, and your best opportunity to talk to them will be before the service, because as you know, they stay busy as bees, so right after the service, they're shooting over to Orlando or somewhere, so So, uh, come early if you want to spend a few minutes uh, talking with the appeases next Sunday, and then um, let's see, we have our bathroom meal, that will be two weeks, two Sundays away... So that comes up quick, the fourth Sunday, and as Steve just mentioned, our uh, other missionaries, Zion's Hope, um, Bob Hunt represents them. He's coming over to give that message that Steve mentioned. So that'll be two Sundays away. We'll have Matthew Mill and Bob Hope, or Bob Hunt. Sorry, uh, he'll be visiting to uh, to give the message that day, and then March the fourth is the ladies' brunch and fellowship. So. Uh, a lot coming up in the next weeks, so put that on your schedule, and um, now we have our last songs at our offering, and you can give online or mail in a check or uh, put your uh, uh, tithe in the box on the back table back there. Thank you.